Hello lovely listeners, welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Crime, a true crime podcast. If you're new here, hi, hello, how you doing? My name is Lisa Marie and each week I sit down with a cup of coffee and I tell you all a true crime story. Happy April. Can you believe that we're already in the fourth month of the year? Like, it's just been going so quickly and I kind of need this year to slow down. And the last couple of weeks have been so full on, having the last two episodes being collaborations or presenting with other people. I had my sister on last week for the Alison Bortha case, which is just an unreal story. And the week before that, I presented with Story Crime. So it's just been very full on and it is just me this week. So just my voice to listen to. I hope that's okay with you guys. <laughs> um, some other fun things. The giveaway on my Instagram is up and live. And I'm already stoked and blown away by the engagement so far. You guys are wanting the goodies. <laughs> so keep getting those entries in. Remember to share and comment and tag and all that good stuff on Instagram. On Spotify, underneath the episode, you should see a Q&A box If you just comment the word giveaway on last week's episode, this week's episode, and all the future episodes up until the 21st of May, then that gets you entries as well. And the reason why it's the 21st of May, which honestly seems like so far away, but like like I've just said, it's already the fourth month and we're already in April. That date is chosen because it coincides with Coffee and Crime's first podiversary and I'm like yo (laughs) I've been doing this thing for one year nearly already like oh it's crazy that's crazy so we have got a pretty rough case this week it it does kind of give off Shanda Shearer vibes and if you know that story then it kind of can set you up for what we're listening to today I will say it's not as extreme, but it's still pretty horrific. So please do heed the warning. I'll give another trigger when we get to the gritty stuff. But just take care when you're listening. But to be honest, if you're listening to true crime and you hear the warning, it, yeah, you guys know what I mean. You you want to hear the, the full details. And that's what we do here at Coffee and Crime. We give as much detail as possible. So without further ado... Let's get into it. Warning. The following episode contains adult language, discussion about arson, drug use, possible domestic abuse and rape, torture and murder that listeners may find disturbing. This podcast is recommended for listeners 16 years and above. Listener discretion is advised. Seth Tyler Jackson was born on February 3rd, 1996 to Sonia and Scott Jackson in Summerfield, Marion County, Florida. He was the youngest of three boys and his older brothers were Scott Jr. and Stephen Jackson and the family lived in Bellevue's Estate Mobile Home Park. Now, Summerfield in Florida has a population of roughly 25,000. The average income per household is around $42,000, so low-income families, it's a poor socioeconomic community, it's very small, there's like a drive-in movie theatre and a skate park, 
for the kids, but nothing really much to it. The neighborhood kids would all go to like one person's house, and this was a lady called Mama Sue. That's what they called her. I think this is super cute, and to be honest, I want to be Mama Sue for my daughter's friends. <laughs> they would all go to Mama Sue's house, and she had six kids of her own, and she would just open her home to everyone to go around for snacks, to hang out. It was a small home, but she opened it up for everyone. Most of the houses in the area were trailer-type mobile homes, and in all honesty, these kids were left mostly unsupervised, as parents had to work multiple jobs, or, to be honest, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it, they couldn't control their kids, or didn't really actively be involved with them, and just let them do whatever they want without having to deal with any consequences unless it was police showing up at the door. I'm not going to lie, the behaviour of the kids in today's case is really disturbing and bottom line is it's a result of lack of parenting for one reason or another, whether it's jobs, whether it's can't be bothered, whatever the reason may be, the kids were left unchecked, essentially. Now Seth, he was described as very funny, but always reliable. He understood that if he wanted anything in life, he was going to have to work hard for it and he did have a great work ethic. His mother, Sonia, would say that he would never just ask for money, not like, hey, mom, can I have 10 bucks to go to the mall? He would go around to the neighborhood houses, offer to mow the lawns, clean the cars, just any little jobs here and there for some cash. Seth also dreamed of being in the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, and once he turned 18, his parents said that they would enroll him into professional training. Seth attended Bellevue High School, and he may not have been the smartest kid on the block, but he definitely was popular and loved by his friends. He had an interest in animals, BMXing, climbing trees, paintballing, just being outside, and running amok, really. No one that knew him seemed to have a bad memory of Seth, like he was just a really cool kid. He was tall for his age, he was strong, he was a fighter, as we'll come to find out, he was quite popular with the ladies. And one lady in particular he was popular with was his fellow classmate, Amber Wright. Now, Amber Wright was born on the 26th of March, 1996, so about a month younger than Seth. But she also grew up in Summerfield, went to the same school. They'd practically known each other their whole lives. And Amber has a stepbrother called Kyle Hooper, who was 16 years old at the time everything happened. So again, year older, but they all lived in the same place, grew up with the same people. They, they just all hung out. Everyone knew everyone, that kind of situation. In December of 2010, so really not that long ago, Amber and Seth would officially begin dating. And it was a hard and fast romance. Typical teenagers, they were just so in love with each other. They would spend every second of the day with each other. Amber would always be at Seth's house. And since they were friends beforehand, the only thing that really changed was PDA. They could actually kiss in public and nobody would be like, that's weird, that's your friend. <laughs> no, they would make out quite a lot. Amber would sit on Seth's lap at lunchtime. They would sneak off. They did also make their relationship physical very quickly and were having sleepovers from the get-go. <laughs> I'm 25 years old and I still can't have a sleepover at my parents' house with my partner, so 
What does that tell you? <laughs> there are plenty of photos of Seth and Amber together, including one where Seth is, I don't know, I'll, po I'll post it up on my Instagram, but Seth is standing behind Amber and he's got his hands wrapped around her waist, but he's making, I think he's making a diamond or a heart shape on Amber's hip where she's pulled her top up slightly to show a tattoo that's on her hip. And she's 15, let's just remember that. I'm gonna put this out here now because I really, really don't like Amber, but she is trailer trash. I'm just gonna put that there. I don't care if y'all think I'm being mean. She is trailer trash. She's got about four piercings in her eyebrows. She's already got tattoos. She's just, oh. I don't like her, so I'm going to say it. Don't come at me. But mostly, Seth and Amber were posting all of their love all over Facebook. And a quick side note, we are going to be talking a lot about Facebook because these kids had no self-control about what they posted, when they posted, where they posted. They would post on their public wall things that probably should not have been said or at least should have been said in private conversations. The drama was all over the public walls of Facebook. So some of the posts would be like, on February 26th, 2011, Amber posted, quote, supervising Seth while he's cooking, end quote. <laughs> like, sorry, but like, who cares? <laughs> oh, these kids, they're so cringy. On March the 2nd, Seth posted, quote, Damn, I already miss my BBG. Love you, Amber. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> oh. The spelling of these kids is atrocious. Can I just say? So I'm trying to translate and it's really, really hard because the spelling is so bad. But as most teenage relationships, they tend to crash and burn, unfortunately. And Seth and Amber's was no different. As quickly as it began, it seemed to finish. On March 23rd, so like three months of the pair dating, Amber posted, quote, Fuck this. I spoke up. We done, bro. Hit me up in another lifetime. End quote. And a couple of days later, Seth posted, quote, Single now. Hit me up. I don't have a trick now. End quote. And a trick, if you don't know, because I didn't. A trick meant, like, I don't have a partner. I don't have a girlfriend. But he spout single, like, S-I-N-G-E-L, single, single, I suppose how it sounds like. Oh, God. It's really difficult to read. So, they've broken up. Oh, no. What happened between Seth and Amber? Well, we only have two sides of a story, and we all know there are three sides to the story. His, hers, and the truth. So... It would seem that Amber decided she was over dating high school boys. And Amber had a friend called Charlie Ely. Now, Charlie, she was 18 years old, so a little bit older. She was originally from the state of Maryland, which is about 12 and a half hours north of Florida. And she moved down to Florida to be with her husband. Yes, her husband. She's married. She married 22-year-old Joseph David Burham whom she met online. So she moved down, they had a place of their own, but then Joseph got arrested. 
So he's a he's a real catch. I'm not sure what he was arrested for. I couldn't find out much, but from what I was reading, the different researchers, and again, all the links are in the show notes, I feel like it was probably drug-related. I think that's my speculation. I do apologize if I'm wrong. So with Joseph gone, Charlie needed ways to pay the rent. So she let her house become the party house and opened it up to teenagers. She had people come and go. They would rent out the room. She would take payments for it. She would get drugs and alcohol for these younger kids and they would pay her and she'd put it towards the rent. It was just a a den of ichiness really. Amber and her brother Kyle would often frequent the house and I don't know, maybe Amber seeing Charlie as 18, married, had a place of her own. She wanted that. Amber wanted that. She wanted her own place. Married at 18. Oh my god, this girl has it all. Charlie has it all. Her 15 year old brain thought that. Even though Charlie's husband's in jail. So... It's just so badass, you know? So cool. Now, one of the frequent party-goers at Charlie's house was another 18-year-old called Mike Bargo, and he was a bad boy. He was a tattoo artist, and I say that very loosely. He was already covered in tattoos himself. He had these piercings. He was known for carrying a gun. Like, this guy was a badass. And Amber right up her alley because this was a man this was an older guy not this high school nonsense but Mike Bargo was just a big fucking bully he was a coward he hung out with these 14 15 16 year old kids he acted like the ringleader of some gang and made them do his bidding like bruh grow up Mike did have a reputation of being a bit of a bad guy. Like I said, he was known to carry a gun. He'd already had a few run-ins with the law. He had a restraining order taken out on him by a youth in late of 2010. And obviously we can't get those details because the juvie is involved. But in a nutshell, he was bad news. And like I said, Amber thought this was the man for her. Now, they never officially came out as dating, But they were caught making out, having photos together, being really close. Seth heard about it and it broke him. He loved Amber and he really felt betrayed by her being close to this Mike Bargo. Seth handled it very poorly. He's a 15-year-old boy and I'm not excusing some of his behavior because it does get pretty atrocious. But he is full of hormones, his testosterone, he wants to be the alpha male, he wants to win Amber's heart. I get it, I don't condone it, but I get it. So back to Facebook we go. Seth is posting statuses about Mike Bargo, calling him derogatory and racist names that I will not be repeating, but he challenges Mike to fights, calls him a pussy and worse names if he doesn't show up. Seth's friends don't help and they just like egg him on with it. There was an incident, though, at one of Charlie's parties. Seth knew Amber was going, and obviously Mike was going to be there. So Seth decides to show up and confront Mike. Things got heated, and Seth threw one punch at Mike and knocked him out. Despite being three years younger, he technically won the fight. So now Mike 
was embarrassed. This was in front of lots of people who thought Mike was this big bad guy. He was butthurt and now had a vendetta against Seth, which will circle back to Facebook. On April 3rd, Amber posts, quote, It feels so weird waking up when you're not beside me, end quote. And Seth replied, quote, You're telling me, Amber, I'm done with the fighting with you. Hopefully we can work shit out later down the road, end quote. But, oh, Seth, baby, she wasn't talking about you. Amber replies, quote, just do me a favor and consider me dead to you, end quote. And Mike chimes in saying, like, bro, she's talking about me. She doesn't want anything to do with you. So now Seth is like, oh, jeez. And he tries to deflect and saying, like, it's fine. I've got a new girlfriend. Her name is Alyssa. And it's just, oh, it, I was reading these posts and I just wanted to cry with cringe. But Alyssa, I will quickly add, this was Kyle's crush. Now, if you remember, Kyle is Amber's brother, half-brother, brother, whatever. Kyle caught Seth and Alyssa in bed together. So now, Kyle, Mike, and Amber don't like Seth. But Seth continues to stir the pot, and things take a quite a dark and violent turn. Mike posts telling Seth that he has a bullet with Seth's name on it, and Seth posts about burning down Amber's house with all of her family inside. Like, this shit is getting really out of control. And I'll just say this again. There are no parents monitoring this or stepping in. I know that if my parents ever saw me post anything like that, I would be locked away in a room and I wouldn't see a phone for 10 years. Like, <laughs> you just can't say this type of shit and there not be any consequences. But these kids were getting away with everything. On April 4th, Amber posts, and I hate these kind of posts, and you'll understand this. She says, quote, lots to think about. Good night, end quote. Like, are you seeking attention <laughs> or what? Like, oh, because she knows she's going to get comments of like, what's wrong, babe? Is everything all good, babe? Here to talk if you need, girl. And she would be like, oh, don't worry about it. It's not that much of a deal. It's none of your business. Oh, it's just, oh, fuck off. <laughs> if you're going to post anything, be prepared to be questioned about it. Okay? Okay. But anyway, Mike then comments on this post and he's like, quote, I hope you aren't feeling sad over me, end quote. <laughs> and then it just becomes a feeding ground of people commenting about Seth beating Mike up. It's just fucking ridiculous. But then... On April 7th, Seth posted, quote, Hello everyone, my name is Amber Wright, and I smoke meth every day. I love this stuff, and it makes me jizz my pants, aka I'm a slut, end quote. And this post goes off, okay? Everyone is chiming in. Some of them are saying, like, that's not nice, Seth. And others are going, yeah, she is a slut. She did this and she did that. And, oh, it's just feral it's absolutely feral and so then amber steps in and she says quote see just like i said seth stop being childish how the fuck did i cheat on you the whole time when i pretty much lived with you when we were together i was with you 24 fucking 7 so stop talking shit that's all you know how to do is get drama started and how am i a hoe what because i dumped you because i got fed up with you throwing me into walls 
tired of you calling me a cunt and a whore every day. I got tired of you treating me like I was nothing. If you're so perfect, get over the jealousy and get yourself a new girl who you can hurt. Because I'm done. About the cheating, you cheated on me with Gil the whole time. I'm not sure if she's trying to say Gil or Jill or girl. Like, this is so hard to read. <laughs> uh, anyway, I cared deeply about you, stuck with you, and now you want to trash talk about me to people who don't know me. The funny thing is you know I'm not a hoe, but you continuously have something new to say. But it's all good. Run your mouth all you want, because I know I'm ten times better than you. It takes a real man to accept he's been broken up with, but it's obvious you're not being a man about the situation. You're being a little kid about it. I'm not talking shit, I'm talking the truth, and you know it just as much as I do. End quote. <laughs> She's ca she came out firing. Seth came back, of course, and he said, quote, Go back and read some of the shit I've wrote. I said I'm done with you and you should be done with me. Just like when I rode by your brother and Mike, I didn't say anything, but you did, so grow the fuck up and leave me alone. It's got to the point I don't like hearing your name, girl, so be with him, smoke your weed, and leave me out of it. This is it. We are both done talking shit. Need to let it go. Yeah, we split. Yeah, it hurt over the dumb shit between me and you. But I don't want Mike have his... I, I, oh my god, this is so hard to read. I won't let Mike have his cake and eat it too. It don't work that way, Amber, and you know it. End quote. Amber replied, quote, How are you done with it? You continue to write shit about me, talk shit about me, hate on me, say shit to me. Tell me, because I want to know, huh? You're not done with it if you keep bringing my name into shit. Look at the definition of done. End quote. Like, they're just guns blazing at each other. And like I said, this is on the public wall of their Facebook. Now there's... Again, the comments are going off on this post, saying how the whole thing's fucked. Seth is defending his position, saying, oh, well, she cheated on me, and they're all saying, yeah, that's pretty messed up. Like, this whole thing is just cringe. It's just two teenagers airing dirty laundry on Facebook, and it's just, ugh. Kids, stop posting your lives on social media, okay? Okay. Now, I will quickly address that Amber has made the statement that possibly indicates that Seth was physically abusive towards her. She said, I got fed up with you throwing me into walls. There were never any reports made of Seth being abusive. No medical records of Amber getting treatment for any injuries. She also did claim that at one point Seth raped her. Again, no reporting, no medical evidence. Now, that's not to say it did not happen. And I'm not going to say she's lying about it. I'm not going to say uh, it, it didn't happen because I don't know. I wasn't there. But I'm not fully convinced that she's telling the most truthful course of events. Witnesses of the couple saw that Seth loved Amber and he would do anything for her. Again, that's not to say it didn't happen. We all know that things change once you're behind closed doors. But what we do know is that Amber does evade the truth quite a bit we'll come to see that later on so who knows if it's true that's real shitty if it's not amber it's really shitty to throw that kind of accusation out you know so on sunday the 17th of april seth is hanging out with his best mate william samalot they had spent some time playing video games and they were on their way to their friend Brittany's house and this is when seth started to get quite interested in his phone he seemed engaged in a texting conversation, and once at Brittany's house, Seth 
got a phone call and William could tell straight away who it's from, from Seth's behaviour. He knew it was Amber. And like a good mate, William is saying, let it go, bro, don't answer it. She's just trouble. It's not worth it. Seth didn't answer the phone, but he does carry on with the texting. Not long after 7pm, Seth said that he was going to go home. He's like, I'm tired, I'm upset about Amber, I just want to go home. And William knows he's all shit. He's like, bro, don't go and see Amber. Brittany's agreeing, she said, it's not worth it, don't go see Amber. And Seth is saying, no, 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 guys, it's all good, I'm going to go sleep it out, I'll figure it out in the morning, I'll see you guys at school. And that's when Seth left Brittany's place. And this would be the last time William saw and spoke to his best friend. The next day, Monday the 18th of April, William was trying to get in touch with Seth by texting him. No response. At lunchtime, he calls Seth and he didn't answer. So after school, when he was meant to meet up with Seth, he decided to call his mum, Sonia. William told Sonia that he and Seth were supposed to meet up, but he's been trying to reach him all day and wondered if he was at home sick or something. Sonia thought that Seth was with William. You see, William and Seth were inseparable. They were bestest of friends. They were always at each other's house. Sonia assumes if she doesn't hear of Seth, that he's at William's. So when William told Sonia how he left William last night and said he was going home, this really put Sonia off and she calls police immediately to report him missing. Deputy Paul Bloom answered the phone and took down the details and sent Deputy Grantham over to the Jacksons' house to get even more. They weren't going to put in an Amber Alert at first, which I actually think is quite ironic that it's an Amber Alert and we've got Amber in this. <laughs> but anyway, because he's 15 years old, he could be a runaway. He could just be chilling at mates. We're not jumping to any conclusions yet or anything like that. But Deputy Grantham does know everything down. The last time Sonia heard of Seth was around 9, 9.30pm the night before. She texted him and asked if he needed a ride home. And Seth replied, quote, never mind, bitch, end quote. Which was like, whoa, okay, first off, that's your mother you're speaking to. Calm down. And Sonia thought, like, this is not like Seth at all. Something's going on. Maybe something to do with his friends. Maybe something to do with Amber. Like, okay. She wasn't going to make a big deal of it now, but she definitely was going to speak to him about it when he got home. Now, when Deputy Grantham heard this, this helped his theory of Seth being a runaway. Maybe he felt guilty after sending that text and he was hiding out from an ass whooping from his mama. So Deputy Grantham then asked permission to access Seth's phone records. That's a lot of S's. <laughs> Deputy Grantham asks for permission to access Seth's phone records. And Sonia, without hesitation, agrees. She's informed that they'll have to get a warrant. They'll have to contact the cell phone company. It could take a little bit of work. So in the meantime, who could they talk to? Who are his friends? What's the situation? So Sonia gave Deputy Grantham a list of Seth's friends, and this included William, but she did also note down Amber Wright, even though she was now his ex-girlfriend. Sonia told police that they had not long broken up, and Seth was really down about it. She knew that they still talked, and they had sometimes gone, quote-unquote, on a break before, but they got back together, so she put a name down just in case. And she also put down Kyle's name, because when they were younger, they did all hang out, so... 
Why not? So Deputy Grantham and Lieutenant Todd Spisher go to Amber's house. They see Amber and they meet Charlie. And at first they're just making polite chit-chat with the two girls. And they just ask very casually if they had heard or spoken to Seth because it seems that he's gone missing. Now both of the girls said they saw Seth again with the S's. They saw Seth in the neighborhood the previous night. They spoke to him for a little bit, and then Seth seemed to get into an argument with his mum over text. She wanted him to come home, he didn't want to, and he just left. And they didn't see him after that. But now police know that they possibly have the last two people to see Seth, so now it was time to question them separately. Lieutenant Todd Spisher took Charlie outside and asked her to show him where they last saw Seth. They went to the corner of 140th Street and 58th Court. Lieutenant Spisher asked Charlie to go over again what happened, and she said they saw him, they spoke, he got into a fight with his mum, and he left. So pretty much the same story, except she decides to add some details. Charlie said as Seth left, Charlie heard a loud bang. She thought it might have been a firecracker or a gunshot. And Seth started to run away, not just walk away. Charlie then said she thinks he might have been shot. So Lieutenant Special was shocked and was like, Pardon? Start again. Rewind the tape. Run it back for me. So Charlie said they saw Seth. They spoke to him. He got into an argument with his mum. He left. She heard a bang. And... She thinks she saw someone in the shadows. Lieutenant Spisher said, Pardon? Do you know who this was? And Charlie was like, Yeah, I think it was Mike Bargo. Lieutenant Spisher's like, Pardon? Like, she just keeps changing the story. So he says, Does Mike know Seth? And Charlie's like, Oh, yeah, they knew each other. Mike hated Seth, and he maybe shot him. Pardon? What? (laughs) Like these, this is very crucial information, Charlie, that you maybe should have mentioned earlier. So they returned back to the house where Deputy Grantham was talking to Amber, who kept to the original story. He asked Amber about the breakup with Seth, and she said, oh, it was mutual, nothing really, no drama, which blatant lie. As we've just heard, there was enough drama in their breakup to get the Kardashians out of business. Alright, let's just put that there. So the officers, they start talking to each other and obviously hear the very different stories. Deputy Grantham returns to Amber and tells her what Charlie's been saying. Amber's like, I don't know why she'd say that. That's not what happened. Deputy Grantham then questioned about dating Mike Bargo and why she didn't mention she had a new boyfriend before when her ex-boyfriend is now missing. And Amber said... I didn't think it really had anything to do with anything. Pardon? (laughs) Like, these kids are stupid. Now, as Amber was saying all of this, she was saying it confidently, and the officers noted that she isn't appearing nervous, she's not shaking, she's not looking away. There's absolutely no signs of dishonesty. So they don't know what is going on, and it's hard to say. The only detail that both stories agreed on was that the girls saw Seth on the corner of 140th Street and 58th Court the night before. So William, Seth's best mate, 
He wanted answers about what happened to Seth, and he knew he was talking to Amber the night before. So William goes over to Amber's house to ask her some questions of his own. And as William arrived, the police were leaving, so they took the opportunity to talk to William. William told the officers about the video games, going to Britney's, Seth being engrossed in a texting conversation, the phone call, the texting, Seth upping and leaving. Police then asked about Mike Bargo, and William straight up was like, he's bad news, he's got a bad rep, he's hanging out with high school kids to have power, he's a self-proclaimed thug, ringleader... William didn't like Mike and his crowd or going to Charlie's house or anything like that and he tried his best to stay away unless he knew Seth was going to cause trouble and then he was right there to back his man up. Like, William is the best, okay? We love William. So now police are thinking that Seth might be hiding out from Mike but that he's still a runaway. But when they said this to William, he was visibly upset. He started freaking out, saying that that's not what's happened. Like, that's not Seth. William, like I've just said, is the best. He's the goat of friends, okay? We all need a friend like William, okay? And after speaking with police, he continues with his own investigation. He's there to speak to Amber. So he goes in and talks to Amber, and she's telling him the same story. William's not buying it. He pushes Amber on, and she says... There are some things you don't need to know about, and told him to get out. And that statement sent chills down William's spine, because you're more or less saying something's going on. You're like admitting that something's happened, and you're not saying anything about it. William does leave, and he posts on Seth's Facebook page, going like, where are you bro, text me back, I'm trying to get a hold of you, and obviously there's just no response. So the police, after seeing William freaking out, they do think there is more to this story than just some runaway kid. And while they're waiting for Seth's phone records, they check out his Facebook page. And as we know, everything is on there. The fights, the violent exchanges between Seth and Mike, the name calling, everything. And police are like, we need to find this Mike kid. They have a few questions for him. They also wanted to speak to Kyle. Amber's half-brother because he jumped on the Facebook as well but police are having trouble locating either of the boys. William, he's doing his own investigation. He goes to find Mike on his own but he does run into Kyle and William starts battering him with questions like where's Seth, what's going on, what have you guys done, tell me. And Kyle starts stuttering and he says I, 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 don't, I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know where Seth is. I don't know where Mike is. And then he just says, like, I gotta go, bye. And leaves halfway through the conversation. Suspicious? I think so. William then spent the entire night looking for Seth on his bike. <laughs> oh, I love William. <laughs> then on Tuesday, April 19th, the very next day, Tracy Wright calls the police. And Tracy is Amber and Kyle's mum. She calls police to tell her to come to the house as soon as possible because Kyle told her that he has some information about Seth's disappearance. So police arrive and they take both Amber and Kyle in for questioning. They also pick up Charlie and 20-year-old Justin Soto, who lives at Charlie's house. Now, I am going to link a video in the show notes from a page called Explore With Us, and it's the recording of their interviews but it's also like an analysis of 
the detective's decisions, its body language analysis. It's so fascinating and it's it's fantastic. So I do recommend giving that a watch. The lead interrogator is Detective Rhonda Stroop and she cuts straight to the chase. Like she's brilliant and she has no time for anyone's crap. She confiscates everyone's phone. She questions Amber with Tracy present. She questions Kyle separately. There's other detectives questioning Charlie and Justin. Like the way these guys do it and crack this case is just unreal. It's, it's brilliant police work. So after a bit of shooting the shit and getting different versions of stories, all three interrogators managed to find the truth of what happened to Seth on the night of Sunday the 17th of April. Alright, so I'm going to get into the details of what happened. Like I said, it's, it's not pleasant. It's hard to listen to, but here's your final warning before I get into it. So skip ahead if you want. So, during the day of Sunday the 17th of April, there are a few people over at Charlie's house. This was a dude called like Brandon, and he was over jamming on his guitar. A chick called Megan, who used to live at Charlie's house. And people are just coming in and going, they're having drinks, smoking weed, doing all sorts of such badass stuff. And Mike Bargo, who police still haven't found at this point, he decides to take some pills. Now, as the night goes on, it ends up being Mike, Charlie, Amber, Kyle and Justin in the house. And Mike starts tripping balls. And he talks to Kyle about wanting to go on a killing spree and how that's what he wants to do. He shows off his gun. He makes his friends all touch the gun. And he's just really unstable at this point. Now, someone, and I, I speculate it was Amber... Someone says something about Seth, and this sets Mike off. He's like, yep, I want to kill him. He's going to be the first victim of my spree. So Mike tells Amber to text Seth and say, like, oh, I want to get back together, and uh, I miss you, and let's work things out. And Amber said, like, he'll definitely come if I send that. He loves me, so are you sure you want to go through with this? Because he'll come if I say that. Mike's like, bet, get him here. And that's exactly what Amber does. She starts messaging Seth. She sends a text around 7pm, and this is when he's with William, saying that she wants to meet up, she misses him, and want to work stuff out. Now, in Amber's interview with Detective Stroop, Amber tells her that she just wants to be friends with Seth, uh, that, you know, she just wants everything to be amicable, no silliness, no nothing, the fights have to stop, but because of the phone records, we know that's a blatant lie. So she's texting Seth this, and he's like, yep, sweet, bet, I'll be there, where am I meeting you, what's the go? Amber also tells Seth that she doesn't want anyone to know they are meeting, because it could start rumours of them hooking up or whatever, and that Seth has to keep it a secret. We know that Seth did just that, by telling William and Brittany that he was just going to go home. At 7.58pm, Amber texted Seth saying, meet me on the corner by Charlie's house, which is 140th Street and 58th Court. At 8pm, Seth replied, okay, I'm walking up the hill now. At 8.05, Amber says, okay, see you soon. At 8.22pm, Seth said that he was at the neighbourhood road, and then I'm not sure what happens here because the next text wasn't until 8.56pm, which is like 30 minutes later. And Seth texts Amber and he says, quote, 
If you're going to have me jumped, I'll never give you the time of day again. So if you, if I'm going to get jumped, then say goodbye, all right? End quote. Then Amber replies saying that she's coming and she's with Charlie because Charlie knows everything about what's happened. To which I say, bitch, everyone knows what's happened because you've put it all over Facebook. Amber tells Seth that Charlie's just going to be there for moral support. So the three of them meet up and Amber convinces Seth to go back to Charlie's house with them so that they can talk. Now back at the house, Justin is standing by the front door because his job is to take the first swing at Seth when he walks through the door with a 2x4 wooden block. Amber was meant to text Mike saying that they were heading back so that everyone could be in position. Mike was in his room with Kyle and the plan was that after Justin swung at Seth, Kyle was going to run in and start beating him up and Mike was going to come in and shoot him but this was all just meant to scare Seth. According to Charlie in her interview, everything is just meant to scare Seth to leave Amber alone. To which I say, yeah right. You guys all knew what was going to fucking happen. I just, oh these kids man. Now, for whatever reason, Amber didn't text Mike. So when Charlie, Amber, and Seth came into the house, Justin didn't do anything. He just kind of was in the front room, which was the living room. He just was kind of there. Now, Kyle and Mike are waiting in the back of the house, and it's not a very big house, so they can hear everyone talking in the lounge. So now Kyle kind of starts to freak out because Justin didn't do his part, and Kyle's got to be the one to go in. And he's like, nah, like I can't do it. He's kind of backing out. It means that he'd have to go up against Seth. And everyone knows that Seth is a fucking fighter. Mike, the absolute coward, says to Kyle, like, nah, bro, you have to go up and hit him. Uh, Remember, he threatened you. He disrespected Amber. He's just hyping Kyle up because Mike is too much of a bitch to face Seth alone. But the hyping works and Kyle comes out of the back room and hits Seth with a block of wood. Seth doesn't go down though, instead he starts to run, realising that this was an ambush and it's currently five against one. Seth makes it to the front door, but Mike comes out of his hiding spot, runs through the kitchen where Charlie and Amber have now convened, and shoots Seth twice in the back. The girls then go and lock themselves in Charlie's bathroom, which is in her room, but Seth doesn't drop, he keeps running. He gets into the front yard, he's making it to the gate when finally Justin decides to wake up and take part and tackles Seth to the ground. This is when Mike came up and shot Seth once in the back of the head. But Seth is still alive, he did not die. Now there is some debate whether Mike just accidentally missed vital parts of the head or if he knew what he was doing and wanted Seth to stay alive. The reason there's this debate is because after this, Mike then tells Kyle and Justin to drag Seth back into the house and put him in the bathtub. And Mike says he wants Seth alive because he wants Seth to know who's killing him. So did Mike know where to shoot and is he a good enough shot? Or was it just lucky for Mike that it missed and he could still taunt him? Who knows? But yes, Seth is in the bathtub. Justin and Kyle are then tasked with cleaning the blood because Seth has just been dragged in through the living room and Amber and Charlie, who have come out of the bathroom, are also helping out cleaning the blood. Mike is in the bathroom with Seth. He's screaming at him, he's yelling at him, he starts pounding him with his fists, 
He's kicking him in the face and the abdomen. Mike then breaks Seth's kneecaps, which makes me feel physically ill to think about that. And he also starts to remove Seth's teeth one by one, basically beginning to dismember him while he's still alive. Mike also starts firing more shots at Seth. And this is when Kyle comes into the bathroom and tells him to stop shooting because of the neighbours. Not because a 15-year-old kid is lying in the tub being tortured and murdered, but because the neighbours might hear. Seth was shot a total of eight times and he finally died. Mike, Kyle and Justin then put Seth's body in a sleeping bag, which was then chucked onto a fire that they started in the backyard. Kyle, in his interview, said that they used tyres to mask out the smell of burning flesh. Like That's how calculated this whole thing was. Now, Charlie's neighbours came out at one point because the fire got so big it was around 8 to 10 feet tall and it was nearing the tree lines. This neighbour would later testify that two males and a female were talking to her and her husband and invited them to hang out around the fire. Charlie told them that the reason for the fire was because she just needed to get her mind off her husband who was in jail and she's just feeling a bit down at the moment. The neighbour ended up declining the invite but he went out a second time later as the flames continued to grow. The fire went on until 2.30 in the morning. Later on, around 7, 8 o'clock, Mike and Justin put all of Seth's charred remains into five-gallon paint buckets. They then called Amber's former stepfather, James Haven III, to help them carry the paint buckets into a rock quarry. Now, this quarry was a known swimming spot, but Mike, he knew no one went there because it was a drive and quite a bit of a hike to get to it. They also took cinder blocks and some form of rope to weigh the paint buckets down. Now, James Haven III did admit to helping disposing of the paint cans, but he swore he didn't know what was in it. I, I call BS because, like, you go trekking up a path carrying really heavy stuff and then dropping these cans into the water, which is like extreme littering, and didn't ask once as to what was going on. Okay, okay. After the detectives had finished interviewing the four, Charlie, Amber, Kyle and Justin, they were kept in a room which they didn't know was also being recorded. And whilst they were in the room, they started talking about the murder plot and wanted to know who said what and how all of them were in on it. Kyle was trying to deflect the responsibility, saying that they did not kill an innocent kid because Seth was not innocent. Seth threatened to burn my family down, my house down, and Seth deserved what he got. Fuck off, Kyle, you git. No one deserves to have their lives taken in such a cruel way. Amber is throwing everything onto Mike, but to be honest, she's probably more of the manipulator than he is because Kyle is... All talk, right? Trying to deflect responsibility. Amber is saying that it's all Mike and that uh, he can make her do anything. She says this in the in the room where they're being recorded. She's like, he knows that he can just say anything and I'll do anything for him. But it seems like she's trying to tell the others that... Even though they all agree that it's Mike, but she's really trying to distance herself from it. When at the end of the day... Amber lured Seth there, knowing full well 
that Mike was going to hurt him. She may not have known that he was going to kill him, but she did know that Mike was going to really badly hurt Seth, and she still went through with it. And to that I say, fuck you, Amber. While they're in this room, they all start showing just how immature they are. So Amber starts saying, oh, everyone's going to hate us, and no one's going to be our friend. Charlie, the 18-year-old, she starts crying for her mum. She goes like, I want my mommy. And how her husband, Joseph, the one who's already in jail, she says that he isn't going to wait for her and she's crying about it. But not one of them is considering how Seth's family is feeling. They're just pathetic, evil kids. So after some time, Detective Rhonda Stroop comes in and tells them that they're all going to be booked for premeditated murder in the first degree. She says, quote, take a deep breath because you ain't getting bond and you ain't getting out, end quote. She tells them what jails they're going to go to, where they're going to be held, because Kyle and Amber are technically juveniles and Charlie and Justin are adults. And then she leaves. And then Charlie, she just goes on about how She's going to get beat up in prison, how she's probably going to be someone's little bitch. Amber says, like, oh, I'm going to be the smallest kid in juvie and I'm going to get picked on. And then, <laughs> this is the best part, Amber's crying and she says, I'll be fucking 20 by the time I get out of here. Like, honey, no. She's not grasping the severity of her actions and she thinks that she's going to get, like, four years in juvie for premeditated murder of the first degree. Like, get banned, sister. But the big question is, where the fuck is Mike? So Tracy, Amber and Kyle's mum, she calls James, because that's her ex, essentially. And Tracy gives James the rundown. She says police are obviously going to be wanting to speak to him. And when they do, James tells detectives that after dropping the paint buckets in the quarry, he dropped Mike off at his ex-girlfriend's dad's house. I don't know, it's a bit weird. But this meant that six people knew something was going on. Okay, yes, James is questionable whether he knew that the paint buckets contained a dead body, but it's dodgy, man. You don't walk through the woods carrying cement blocks and paint buckets, drop them into a quarry and not ask any questions. Like, come on. Come on, bro. You, yeah. It, it's, the whole thing's dodgy. But six people knew something was going on and no one did anything. Now, yes, Charlie probably had the least involvement, but it was in her house. She had opportunities to tell Seth to run away before they even got to the house. She had a chance to call the police in the house. Amber had the chance to call it all off. Justin had a chance to tell Seth to run away when he entered the house. Like, all of them were in it and complicit. Amber started telling the detectives that Mike was threatening her and Charlie, saying, like, I love you both, but if you tell anyone, I'll kill you. And the detective brought up a really good point. She said, if he said that, that's, that, was, that happened later on. That happened after the fact. There was no threat before she lured Seth in. It's not like he said, get Seth here or I'll kill you. That didn't happen. The threat came afterwards. So that meant that it didn't matter that he threatened her. She still did it on her own accord. So after all the interviews, the police go to Charlie's house and they comb through the fire pit and they find 
so many bone fragments. They go to the quarry, they find the paint buckets, it's exactly where James told them they dropped them, and then they tested all the remains which were all confirmed to, to be Seth. So Mike, he had indeed been dropped off at a ex-girlfriend, girlfriend's, I don't know, I heard different reports, at a girlfriend's dad's house, and he actually confessed what he did to the parents of this girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, whatever of his. And they all agreed that he needed to turn himself in, including Mike. So obviously guilt, guilty conscience set in. He's sober, he's off the drugs that he was on. And he's like, oh shit, this is bad. But he agreed to turn himself in. And the dad was going to drive him into the police station. And there was this whole thing I watched that was quite brilliant. The, the dad, he had to go and get the night shift off from work. And then he said he was going to drive Mike to the station. He goes, gets the night off. But as he returns back, the police have turned up at the house. So he's like, all right, saves me a drive. But obviously he and his wife have to go in for questioning as well. And to find out how they got caught up in all of this. So the police have turned up at this girlfriend's, ex-girlfriend's house. And they arrest Mike. Now, I couldn't find anything from his interview because the only video I saw was very quick because as soon as he sat down, he pretty much asked for his lawyer and the interview was concluded. So I don't really know what he was saying, what he was trying to pin it on the others. I, I'm not too sure. But Mike was charged with first degree murder. The gun that he used was a .22 caliber heritage handgun and it was found in the air duct under Charlie's house. So the trials, and I bet you're all waiting to hear that Amber and Kyle only got tried as juvies and they only got 10 years max because that's been a recurring theme on this podcast lately, but no, Kyle and Amber, Charlie, Justin, Mike, they all got tried as adults. Everyone except Mike is just downplaying their involvement, saying they were scared of Mike and his behavior and all this deflective bullshit really and none of it works on the jury. Amber, Charlie, Justin and Kyle are all convicted and sentenced to life in prison. James is charged with disposing the body after the fact and he only gets a couple of years. Mike at his trial I watched one of his uh, a video of him when he's on the stand and he's just sitting back in his chair and he's like oh yeah you know and he's like shrugging off things and he's talking and it's just gross like grow up man you're in court for first degree murder at least act like this is a huge situation and he gets called out for hearsay on one point because uh he was going on like oh amber comes up to me and says this and i say this and so the prosecution calls out objection hearsay. The judge tells him he needs to not say what she said. And he's like, well, I don't know how I'm going to get around that. Like, it's just, it's just fucking ridiculous. He's just a slimy git, really. But in his trial, he says that he and Amber were never actually together. He did it to defend Amber because he sees her as a little sister. But it was also revealed that Amber and Mike have each other's initials tattooed on each other in their private areas. I don't know about you guys, but I wouldn't get J.I. for my brother Jack tattooed on my nether regions. No siree. I don't love him that much. 
But just like, get out of here. Are you serious? So Mike was found guilty and convicted of murder in the first degree. And he was given the death penalty, making him the youngest person on death row at 19 years old. Then, in March of 2019, so really not that long ago, the Supreme Court ruled that death penalty sentences have to be unanimous and not a majority. And since Mike had a 10 to 2 vote, his sentence was overturned, but it didn't do much because at his retrial, he was once again sentenced to death. His defense team tried to buy more time for the trial, saying that there were some mitigating factors and some mental illness avenues they needed to go down. But the Supreme Court said, no, every retrial gets about nine months to prepare. So, no. And yeah, like I said, he was re-sentenced to death. Mike is still currently on death row at Florida State. Charlie, oh, my blood's about to boil. Charlie continuously appealed her conviction on grounds of ineffective counsel. She set up a Free Charlie Facebook page. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And on it, the moderator, whether it's Charlie or not, they give updates of Charlie in prison. And there was one Christmas where she moaned about not getting Christmas cards from people. <laughs> she said... That she had an okay Christmas, she got to speak to her mum, but she didn't really get anything, like, just moaning. <laughs> so entitled. And she's saying how she feels, that like she's forgotten about, like, sorry, nobody wants to remember you. She's also, uh, this is so horrible to say, but I, I don't like her either. She's got a lazy eye, so she's, <laughs> she looks like a frog, okay, I'm just gonna say it, she looks like a fucking frog. <laughs> Oh, she makes me mad. Yes, she had the least involvement, but she did nothing. And that might be, yeah, she did nothing. No, 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 she did nothing. And she let another human being die in her house. And she did nothing. It's... Oh. <sighs> you ready to get even angrier? In 2020, Charlie was granted a retrial. And her sentence was lowered to premeditated murder in the second degree, and her sentence was reduced to 10 years. Now, since she had already spent 9 to 10 years in prison, she was released. So she's free. She's out there doing whatever. I don't know if her and her jailbird husband are still married. I don't know. I don't know what she's up to. But fun fact. All right, are you ready? Are you ready, lovely listeners? Charlie's attorney for her retrial was none other than Jose Baez. If you don't recognize that name, I'm going to tell you who he is. Jose Baez was the attorney for Casey fucking Anthony. And if that doesn't make my blood boil, I don't know. Oh, 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 every time I hear that bitch's name, I get so angry. But yeah, so Charlie's free. Amber has appeared on Killer Women with Piers Morgan, which I still haven't been able to watch because it's not available in New Zealand and I'm not tech-savvy enough to know how to download and stream things. <laughs> uh, I have mentioned this show on a previous episode and like I said, say what you will about Piers Morgan. He's a very controversial dude, but he doesn't shoot the shit when he's interviewing these girls. 
He do- I have seen the one where he does it with a couple of guys and he's just straight into it. He's calling them out. He's showing them recordings. He's doing this. He's doing that. It's quite good. I find it quite good. That's my opinion. It has got mixed reviews. I find it quite good. I saw the promo photo of Amber and Pierce Morgan and holy shit, Amber looks like a mean girl. I will put the photo up on Instagram, but holy shit, she looks like a proper bully. And what's really annoying is, unlike Charlie, who looks like a frog, Amber is gorgeous. Like, she's really fucking pretty. (laughs) That makes me really, really mad. But she's got the most resting bitch face I've ever seen. But she looks like she'll kill you. Like, she's just a big bully. She's got mean face. She's dead in her eyes. The reviews of the show or like the blurb or something I read, Piers Morgan said that she just had no emotion. Even when she was talking about it, she started smiling in some parts. Like, she's fucking dangerous. And the fact that way back at the start, when she was talking to the police, they noted that she showed no signs of dishonesty. You know, it's like, oh, lordy. But that's where she is. She's still in prison. Justin and Kyle, they're going to be there probably for the rest of their lives. They're going to be there for a long time. And obviously Mike's on death row. I don't know if James, who helped disposing the body, is out of prison. I just, I I don't know what to think about that guy. But before I finish up, I'm going to play you a little video of Sonia, Seth's mother, and it's her impact statement that she made at Kyle's trial. Now it is a few minutes long, so bear with me, but it's powerful and it's how I want to wrap up today. Hearing from Seth's family because, yeah, okay, he was a little shit on Facebook. He was saying some pretty awful things, but he did not deserve to die. No one fucking deserves to die. And you don't get to play God with you and your little friends and decide who lives and who dies. It's just, mm, it pisses me off. But anyway, I'm going to play this and then be back to wrap us up for today. Words cannot describe the pain and suffering you have inflicted on our family. You have taken so much from so many. The loss of our son has been the most difficult thing we have ever had to bear. It has changed our lives and the way we think, feel, and live. Our lives will never be the same, as we will never see our son grow up or have children of his own. Nor will we ever spend another birthday or holiday with our son. As I stand here today, or sit, facing children who have taken our son's life, I ask myself, they are just kids. Is life in prison the right punishment for them? The hours before any action was taken proves the kind of person they really are. They had plenty of time to think about what was going to happen. The thoughts running through their minds should have raised red flags. They say their minds are not fully developed at this age. This is true, but it does not take a fully developed mind to know and understand right from wrong. After all, a two-year-old learns that hurting others is not accepted in our society. This was no accident. This was a planned murder that they all agreed to, talked about, and thought about. They even took steps to prepare for it. Seth and Kyle were friends at one time. Kyle even spent time in our home. 
I will never understand how someone who was supposed to be Seth's friend exhibited hatred towards him. Kyle agreed to the plan. He helped prepare for it. He gathered wood for the fire. Did he not think about what that fire was for? He was the first person to actually start the attack on Seth. He administered the first blow. After, after being beaten and shot several times, Seth still managed to run outside where Kyle again made a choice to continue with the plan and bring Seth back inside. knowing he would not live. Kyle made the choice to take Seth's life, but Seth was never given a choice. Therefore, Kyle should not have a choice either. Kyle, the life you took can never be given back. Now the life you will lead will remind you that Seth did deserve to live. You helped take Seth's life, and I hope he haunts the rest of yours. The actions he carried out have changed all our lives. We understand that his family feels they have lost him, but he is still here for them to talk to, to hug, and to hear his I love yous. Let me remind them that their child is not dead. We will never have those precious moments again. The Bible says an eye for an eye. So be thankful that you live within a justice system that does not live by this code. This is why we ask that he spend the rest of his life behind bars. Because death is not an option. Ooh, that, that's really, really powerful. Um, Oh dear. <laughs> uh, impact statements always get me choked up because you try and put yourself in that person's position. And me being a mother myself. Oh my goodness. Oh, she's so incredibly brave and strong. And I think um, it's very, very, it's very powerful what she says about how, yes, even though their minds aren't fully developed, they already know right from wrong. Because a two-year-old knows not to hit. They learn that at that age, you know. And how she addresses the family, because, yes, everyone involved, their families or, you know, their loved ones and close ones are all affected too. They, they have their loved ones who are convicted of murder, murdering someone. <sighs> it's very powerful, very powerful. Uh, but that, my lovely listeners, is the heinous murder of Seth Tyler Jackson. And a few things I think we can take from the story is, one, get better friends. If you've got someone talking about murdering someone, major red flag on the play, get the F out of there. It's not, it's not worth you spending the rest of your life in prison because of your mate. Second of all, don't post your life on social media. Now, 
I know I'm on social media a lot through Coffee and Crimes page. I've also got a personal page. I've got Facebook. I've got all the socials. But you don't need to post your life. I have a lot of careful thought that goes into each of my posts, whether it is for Coffee and Crime, which usually is just Teaser Tuesday and the new episode and any kind of updates, which isn't really my personal life, but also on my personal account. I've got lots of things on there, lots of posts, and there is thought going into each and every one of them. Is it relevant? Is it needed? Is it kind? Is it going to hurt anyone? Like just, just think before you post, you know? Because nothing has ever gone from the internet. If you hit the delete button, it's never gone. It's up there in the cloud somewhere. It's on some database. People might screenshot stuff. You can't control other people and what they do with your social media in terms of viewing it. So just be safe and don't post everything. Last but not least, it is not worth fighting over a person. Okay, your girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever has broken up with you, it sucks to lose them, but cut your losses because it is not worth your life. It's not worth any blood, sweat and tears fighting someone over them. It, re it really, really isn't. But that is all from me this week, my lovely listeners. Remember to keep getting the entries into the giveaway. But thank you so much for joining me this week. It was it was pretty hard. It's so hor horrendous and it's disgusting what these kids did to Seth. And he definitely did not deserve it. But until next time, and I think next week might be a serial killer episode. I put a few polls up on my Instagram. You guys said you're ready for another one. So I've got one in the works and I think I'll bring it forward to release next week for the 45th episode of Coffee and Crime. So until next week, be safe, be good, be better and all that cheesy crap. And I'll catch you all next week for another episode of Coffee and Crime.